There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. Uh, we're at the podcast show in Islington's Business Design Center to grab some of the execs milling around the conference. We'll have all the key takeaways for the sector and maybe snaffle some pastries too. Uh, Philip Schofield leaves this morning. What did it for him and how does the show steady the ship? Carol Cadwallader faces a 1.2 million legal bill in her battle with a Brexit funder. Should the publishers be stumping up? All that plus in the media quiz, we get into everything that's going on outside the conference. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week, Twitter buckled as it tried to welcome Ron DeSantis into Twitter spaces to announce his presidential nomination. Glitches prevented many from hearing the announcement and pointed to the ongoing issues brought on by Musk's recent restructure. Uh, Former chief exec Sly Bailey has appeared at the Mirror phone hacking trial, saying she's deeply regretful about what went on. She maintained she didn't know about widespread use of unlawful information while she was in charge. Uh, Only hearing about it once she'd left, uh, the trial continued. And the Paul Foot Award nominees have been announced. The annual award for investigative journalism praised scoops including The Guardian's VIP Lane and Michelle Moan stories, The Times' British Gas bailiffs and The Sunday Times' revelation of the former BBC chairman and the £800,000 loan to Boris Johnson. Uh, Now, today we're recording at the podcast show at Spiritland Productions Studio, and I'll be bagging guests here and across the venue to cover some more stories shaking up the media sector. And joining me for part one, we welcome back audio consultant Brett Spencer. Hello. Uh, Brett, um, your voice has gone a little bit. The voice has gone from talking to too many people. Uh, And you've been Uh, telling a lot of people about City University. What's, What's been going on? Well, we've launched the first MA in podcasting, the first dedicated MA in podcasting. Uh, so we've got to stand here at the show, talk to people about it and try and attract some, some bursaries from the big companies. We just announced our first one today, which comes from Gary Lineker and the guys of Goalhanger, who have given us a bursary to support a student uh, for next term, so for the first term, which is in September. So thanks to them. But there's been a huge amount of interest from across the board, from, from right, all different parts of the industry. I mean, it's great that there's going to be some uh, proper ap- academic courses for podcasting and also looking a bit broader than production. That's right, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we gathered together a really great group of people last, last summer we had people from Spotify and the BBC and Acast and Sony and loads of others and indeed Chloe who's here with us um, and they all helped us shape the course and where sort of the needs were in terms of training in the industry so the degree won't just be about how to make a podcast it'll be about how to write a host read how to work with brands how to pitch to a commissioner how to commission content you know, how to work with advertisers 
everything that the industry involves that is in addition to making a podcast. So will it also include uh, putting your content on Twitter spaces, uh, something that obviously uh, happened this week? But that doesn't uh, work, as we know. With Ron DeSantis. Yes, that doesn't work. Well, yeah, it was interesting last night that Twitter couldn't get Ron DeSantis' announcement to work in terms of audio on Twitter. But meanwhile, they're planning to publish, you know, Ben Shapiro's podcast and lots of other right-wing podcasts, and even apparently transmit Tucker Carlson's show. Well, he had three million viewers on Fox, so how Twitter will handle that sort of traffic? Maybe you shouldn't have sacked all the people working on Twitter spaces. Strange that, isn't it? Uh, Also joining us, uh, a return to the media podcast for Chloe Straw, Managing Director of Audio UK. Um, Who have you spotted whilst you've been here at the podcast show? Any celebs? Apart from yourself. (laughs) Well, Brett. Brett and you, of course. So I don't think I've seen any celebs, you know. Um, You didn't pop in and see John Ronson or or Tim Burgess speak? I I find we sort of end up not seeing any panels. There's so many people I wanted to see. um, But sort of doing your own panels and obviously excellent things like this and we've got a stand here as well means that uh, I've seen a lot of mates, but perhaps not many celebs. There's quite a few indies here, aren't, aren't there? What are they getting out of being a show like this? That's a good question. And in fact, I was chatting to one of our members earlier about that. I think that it's probably the same for everyone. I think there's a lot of conversations that you have. There's obviously a huge amount of potential business here in terms of brands and other creators. Um, I think brand recognition is the biggest thing. Um, But I think also it's just nice to see the conversations that they're having. You know, there's different things that they've done. Fresh Air have a kind of area that they've got. Listen did a stage yesterday, TBI are here, Whistledown have got a mm. booth, obviously um, something else are here under Sony. And I think everyone's doing a bit of everything and that's really nice to see. Uh, right, uh, story number one, Philip Schofield has left uh, this morning, kind of after sl- a slew of innuendo-laden tabloid stories over the past few weeks. Uh, Holly Willoughby returns uh, after uh, the holidays. Um, Brett, I mean... ITV have, have kind of made this, this decision. You've got a background in working on um, breakfast television. Uh, I mean, that environment, it, it, it kind of combusts people. It does, and it's hard because I worked on GMTV for about five years, which is now Good Morning Britain. And as soon as you're through a show at 9.30, you're literally into the next one. So it is very, very full on doing a daily show that is of, of that length. I thought it was interesting in the ITV statement that when Piers Morgan left, they said that Piers had decided to leave. But this quite clearly said that ITV has decided, so it was clearly their decision for him to go. Also, the press have had it in for him for a long time, Mm. it seems. Certainly, it all ramped up during, you know, when the Queen passed away and we had that incident where they were supposedly jumped the queue. As Holly said, we would never jump a queue. Interestingly, we were discussing the merits of the story with Mm. a group of journalism students the other day who were sort of doing one of their practice news days. And one of my colleagues said, you know, we all remember him when he started off in the broom cupboard with Gordon the Gopher. And a whole room full of students went, what? <laughs> Go for it, boom cupboard. <laughs> uh, well, maybe that is a return to that could be yeah. could be on the cards. Uh, I mean, Chloe, talent, it's tough, isn't it? And, and also particularly relationships between two people. They seem to be some a, a pair that got on really well, but, but issues have sort of strained it over the past few months. It's difficult to manage that, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's also an incredibly difficult situation to judge from the outside. You know, it's, it's, so, it's like with a lot of kind of celebrity feuds or celebrity problems, you know, we're consumers of those stories, aren't we? And I think it can be, you look at that story and it's sort of all over the place, like this happened and, you know, that happened and was it ITV? I also think with those two, the impression that you 
get, particularly um, after Phil kind of coming out a couple of years ago, I think, is they, they've sort of built themselves up as really good friends in real life. You know, you hear sort of, oh, they go on holiday together and Holly was such a wonderful support and so on and so forth. And I think that it's it doesn't feel like just a professional relationship that's unpicking, does it? It feels like a hugely personal one as well and an incredibly long-standing one. So I think it's impossible to understand what's really happening there, what's going on. I, I'm enjoying all the agents trying to get their clients into the newspapers as they're the hot tip to take over, you know, secret talks going on. I mean, agents is an interesting point, isn't it? Because both of them, I think, used to be repped by YMU. I think Holly went uh, and sort of created their own kind of management company. I mean, managing the the, the, the press around around any talent can, can be quite a challenge, can't it? It is, and often, you know, the best agents, their, their skill is keeping stories out of the paper rather than getting stories into the paper. And, um, yeah, there may be a lot more in this story, story to come we don't know yet. I mean, it's strange because obviously there's a lot of innuendo about it and things that have gone on. He had some unfortunate things happen with his family as well. Um, he hasn't been able to control the narrative uh, or, or talk about it really yet. Uh, has he just got to kind of go away and, and re-emerge after the, the air's cleared? I think so. I mean, we've seen people, you know, go away and come back. And, you know, we saw it with Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan had to go away for a while before he came back to talk TV. So, you know, I'm sure down the line he, he will be fine and he'll appear somewhere else. And I'm sure his agent's currently putting out feelers elsewhere to find him that next highly paid gig. Moving on, uh, some interesting audio news uh, this week that the BBC's announced that shows including Desert Island Discs will move from in-house production to uh, BBC Studios. Uh, Chloe, tell us, how, how does this work? What, is there a big difference? I think that remains to be seen. It's probably the best way to put it. So um, at Audio UK, we talked to the BBC quite a lot. So we kind of knew that they'd been undergoing an internal speech review for a while, which was kind of the news this week was the conclusion of that speech review. Um, obviously, it still has a way to go in terms of going through Ofcom and everything like that. But their recommendation was that a certain percentage of their um, speech output moves to studios. So I think the really significant thing, particularly for the independent sector, is that means that a percentage of speech audio that wasn't there before will now be able to compete in the open market. So obviously studios competes to an extent already and has um, the ability to have you know, podcasts on Audible, Spotify, Amazon Music. But I think the really big thing for us is that there will be a much bigger chunk. How big that chunk actually is, I think, still remains to be seen. And I think, you know, you hear different percentages or different numbers, but I think the proof will be in the pudding in terms of what that actually looks like. Is this sort of a replication of what happens in television and basically all non-news has been sort of shoved into BBC Studios? Not all of it. And again, I think that's something that we probably need some clarity on. We've kind of heard different numbers, but in terms of what that actually looks like. But it is a similar model to TV. And I think the kind of um, the Audio UK point of view and the kind of indie standpoint on it is that if more of the BBC comes out into the open market, then more of that obviously um, represents increased competition for the indie market and you know the BBC is a big production superpower it's not like it's kind of a small entrant to the market mm. and obviously historically that's been built up through public funding and the training that their staff can get if that comes out into the market then actually more of the BBC's um, speech output or general output needs to be opened up to indie competition and obviously, um, not to go too much into the ins and outs of it, which I love to do, but currently 60% of um, relevant hours, which is effectively non-news output, is open to competition. 
that's quite it's very nuanced it's very complicated and I so think something it's kind of like something like a radio one daytime strand might not be up for competition but a six music daytime strand might be exactly so there's a lot of different kind of rules and percentages mm. and I think I would love to see the audio model replicate the TV model. I think the TV model, where 100% of TV is open to competition between indies and studios, is and the BBC, is really clean cut. And I think something that we hear from the BBC is the kind of different percentages are very hard to administer. People are, you know, they're a commissioner, they're also trying to manage in-house teams and so on and so forth. And I really like the TV model because it just opens it up entirely to 100% of competition. You know, like for example, something like Six Music, I think everything's already open for Tender, isn't it? They have to put everything out. The other point I wanted to make was, it's not a very hard show to make this island, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, you've got to book a great guest. And to be honest, I'm not sure many people will say no. You've got to find the eight records. And then you've got to throw it into the mix the best broadcaster and interview I've ever worked with. So, you know, the three of us could probably make it, couldn't we? <laughs> so I'm not sure how difficult it is. Well, actually, what that'll be about is who can do it cheapest, I would suspect. Mm. And the, the move to the sort of TV model would be quite a, a shock for, for the people who work in, in, in BBC Audio at the moment, making things for, for networks or sitting in the network building. I think, so during my time at BBC, people in BBC Audio had got used to things going out and being in competition. Everyone had to learn how to pitch. That was an interesting time because programme makers in the BBC weren't, experienced at pitching in the way that people for, for, for indies were. I think the key difference here now is that you would never imagine a show like Desert Island Disc, which is one of the crown jewels, would go out. So I imagine, you know, that is, that is the big shift for them, that actually it's not just kind of, you know, the part work shows or stuff at, on the fringe of the schedule, that, that major BBC properties like Desert Island Discs, which it was always quite hard to do stuff with because Roy Plomley's estate uh, had, had, had to yeah. have the right. So it was very difficult to do anything around this island disc. I know having tried to do something around it some time ago. So that's that's quite a shift. I mean, Chloe, do you think some of it is actually BBC Studios getting their hands on some formats that they can do other things with both in the UK and outside of the UK? Yeah, I mean, 100%. The BBC's got to look towards a commercial future, right, and see how they can kind of prepare for that. And, you know, we're at the podcast show, we're surrounded by Audible and Spotify and Amazon Music and Acast, who've all been distributing on a kind of global stage for quite a long time now and 100 percent you know studios it's really important for them to look at how they can monetize their content i think it is really tricky because the bbc is a psb organization and how do you balance that with the commercial needs of that organization and i think also thinking about contributors you know if you're a writer you might do something a bit more cheaply because it's the BBC and it's PSB. If that content's suddenly commercial, then how does that work? So I think they've, you know, they've got a tricky, a tricky time on their hands in terms of seeing how that all plays out. But absolutely, you know, they should be doing it. I think it's really important to think about how it interacts. And I also think that, you know, one of the huge things about the BBC is it's the best ideas for the audience. Mm. And we know that greater competition breeds greater ideas which is why more competition makes sense and also greater diversity of ideas you know in terms of our members there from all around the UK and I think it's really important that the audience gets you know the best ideas so that's why I'd like to see more. 
Well, speaking of money, uh, Carol Cadwallader has been hit by a bill uh, for £1.2 million after a judge ruled she must pay the legal cost of Aaron Banks. Uh, the billionaire Brexit donor successfully argued that a TED talk by Cadwallader should not have been streamed uh, once a public interest defence had fallen away. Uh, I mean, Carol says that she didn't have any control over the content and couldn't have taken it down if she wanted. I mean, this case gets a bit complicated and in some ways they've both won and they've both lost. Um, I mean, is she right, Brett? It's not been down to her? I think it's difficult when you're an individual and you're, and you're sort of, you know, fighting a, a well-funded operation, isn't it? Um, and essentially it isn't down to her because, the, you know, it was published by somebody else, but effectively it was her that said the words. So, mm. so it's ultimately down to her. Once you're saying something in any public arena, it doesn't matter whether there's three people in the room or if it's being streamed live, you said it in the public arena. So, so, you know, she has got responsibility for that. But you are always going to be at risk if you're doing something like that and you're, you're going up against, you know, some big hitters. I mean, seeing, seeing her tweets uh, about it, I, I feel that she, she feels that she's been somewhat let down by The Guardian and, and, and other people that's been left to sort of deal with this uh, on her own. I mean, as you, as you get kind of big columnists or, or big characters, I mean, we're going to see more of this, I guess, aren't we, Chloe? Yeah, I think it's really, it's a, again, it's a very tricky situation, isn't it? And, I, you know, I, I sort of, I agree with Brett to an extent. You, you're, I'm a big fan of accountability. Mm. <laughs> I was talked to my children about accountability. Um, poor children. So, you know, taking responsibility for what you say. But I think it's so much more nuanced than that, isn't it? And I think you've got these big potential supporters of her and you sort of think, should they have been more behind her? Is there this sense of, like, we're just going to step back and, and let it go? I mean, it's, a, it's very complicated in terms of what's happened and the kind of who's responsible. And um, I think it's a really tricky case. I think it's really hard to judge kind of who's responsible, who should have supported who. But absolutely, from a personal point of view, you can imagine her feeling let down, can't you? I think you can imagine that feeling from her it's you know tricky to know sort of I don't know why do you think those organizations didn't support her more well it's difficult I mean Brett broadcasters want kind of edgy content and this is in the in the journalism space is investigative journalism this is hard work you also see it with talent and be that even like the Joe Rogan end of things and just doing stuff that that that, that gets some notoriety I mean if you're going for that um have you got to back your talent more and more you have, and we saw an incident around Philip Schofield with GB News where they broadcast something that was potentially libelous and had to take it down. So, you know, if you're unleashing your broadcasters to be controversial, you've got to expect to run into trouble. It's a sort of frightening time for freedom of speech, though, isn't it? Because, you know, she's, she's speaking her mind there and therefore it's going to cost her over a million pounds. And it's the same as the Elon Musk story we talked about earlier. Here's somebody who controls the algorithm of what we might see. So, you know, it is a, it is a worrying time. It's all a little bit succession, isn't it, for anyone that's watching that series? Uh, and if you, by the way, if you subscribe to this podcast, you'll be able to hear what Chloe's kids did to deserve the lecture <laughs> on accountability. Pa- Patreon.com yeah, Patreon. slash com. media pod. Um, uh, I mean, also, I mean, she's raised almost a million pounds uh, from the public with her, her crowdfunding. Uh, that also shows that if you've got a great relationship with your audience, uh, you can activate them, especially when uh, it's, it's very obvious uh, that, they, that they need the dosh. 
Absolutely. I mean, that's the ultimate subscription-based model, surely, <laughs> is that you're making money from, uh, not from your content, but from yeah. your case sort of thing. But, you know, absolutely, it's a... I, you know, you never like to see a case where someone's got a huge amount of money and someone else doesn't. So there's obviously people who really support her. And I think for anyone, whether that's a, you know, a podcaster or a journalist, we live in a world where we're far more individual now, aren't we? That's the great thing about the kind of creator economy and everything like that. But you're right. How does that work within the world where those big organisations are kind of supporting those people or not? But great that she's raised so much money. Uh, we'll be back with Chloe and Brett after this. This podcast was recorded at the podcast show by Spiritland Productions. You can record your podcast at Spiritland, a state-of-the-art podcast studio with full three-camera visualisation in the heart of London's King's Cross. Just visit spiritlandproductions.com to see their studio and to book in your recording. All right, let's head into the throng. We sent producer Matt Hill into the conference to pick out some key takeaways from the show. My name is Catherine Templer-Lewis. Um, I am the co-founder of Kinder Studios, a creative neuroaesthetic studio based in London, UK. Uh, now, you've been here sort of repping Fresh Air Productions, is that right? We have indeed. So my background is neuroscience and we've been working with Fresh Air to really dig into the neuroscience of podcasts and why our brains love the audio format so much. And so this has been written into a report that then Fresh Air used to get brands to basically say, Podcasting is persuasive, podcasting is a great way to sell your message, go and work with us. It has indeed. We basically want to look at what actually engagement is. Everybody says they want engagement, but from a sort of scientific perspective, what is that? So we work with Fresh Air to produce a series of blogs, a podcast and reports, looking at what happens in the brain and body when you listen to podcast. And it's absolutely wild. Most people think that the visual formats, watching films and stories on, on films, are the most engaging format, but that's not actually true. There's some wonderful research that's come out of University College London quite recently by Daniel Richardson and his colleagues that shows that if you listen to the same story once uh, as a visual format, in fact this study was done with an episode of Game of Thrones, and also then listening to it as an audio story like a podcast, what happens is even though you think you are more engaged watching the film, your brain and your body show otherwise. They saw increased electrical activity, sort of engagement, attention in the brain. This encoding of memory seems to be stronger when we're listening to stories. They also noticed that within the body, which is actually where we can measure emotions, if you think about it, when you're scared, your heart beats, when you're nervous, your stomach churns, and people were showing stronger emotional reactions when they were listening only. They also saw that people felt more connected to each other when they were listening. This idea of synchrony, which can often be very chemical in the body, bonding you with other people seem to be greater. All in all, despite being a very visually dominant culture, storytelling had the biggest impact. Now this actually makes sense if you think about it because our brains evolved in a world where we told each other stories to help us face and navigate the unknown. If you think about it, uh, when we lived back in sort of prehistoric times where we evolved, you have met a mammoth and defeated it. So I meet you sitting around the fire, you belong to my to my uh, community and you tell me the story of how you defeated this mammoth and I inhabit it and almost lay down memories of myself so that then maybe a week or so later I encounter a woolly mammoth I've never seen one I've never fought one but I can actively access your memories that I've learned through your stories and I'll know how to defeat it and that's the basis of learning where can people find your stuff 
Uh, so if you go to uh, kinderstudios.com, uh, we have a lot of links through there. Obviously, the reports at some fresh air and templelist.com is on my own work and projects around these various brain topics. Hi, I'm Dino Sofos, the founder of Persephonica. Hi, I'm Ellie Clifford. I'm the executive producer at Persephonica. Uh, what have you enjoyed over the last two days of the podcast show? I really enjoyed Dish, uh, the talk that they did about the podcast. I went to see it this morning. I thought it was great. Um, a lot of the talks that I've been to have been really informative, but what I loved about that is it was informative and entertaining. So I really liked the insight into how they got it all going and actually hearing from the team behind it about the way that they sort of reimagined what a podcast could look like and almost work backwards then to then record it. Um, so I found that really insightful, thinking about what podcasts in the modern era now look like. I speak to a lot of uh, other producers and companies who look on that show with a certain level of jealousy because it is real, it's a real outlier in terms of a branded show that has cut through to find a wider audience. Why do you think that is? I mean, from listening to it and from the talk this morning, I think there's a real warmth there that's great that you can really hear. So I think they've got the talent absolutely right. The way they've set it up, you know, they talked about the fact that the guests don't wear headphones as a way of actually making it feel, when you look at the clips, it feels really inviting. It actually feels like a dinner party. And I think setting that tone just makes it feel like something that listeners really want to be a part of. And I think there's a real boom for kind of food podcasts and thinking about it in a different way has really allowed them to cut through the market. And they've done it in a way that means that, although they did say Waitrose about a thousand times in the talk this morning, it still didn't feel all that heavy-handed. And uh, Dino, did you see that Nick Grimshaw is actually going to be um, covering for Chris Evans on Virgin Radio? Yeah. Well, look, I, I love Grimmy. He's an amazing broadcaster. I think it's, he's been off our airwaves for far too long. And I just think that's a really great fit for him as a show. I'll be tuning in. I think it's great. He's, he's such a great broadcaster. And like, great to have him in the podcast space, but radio is his home, so that's amazing. In terms of the podcast show, I think it's a tale of two festivals, if we're going to call it a festival. It's much bigger than it was last year. You've got Sky News broadcasting live, which is just so bizarre to turn on Sky News and they're broadcasting from a podcast show. And I think for a statement about the industry and how it's grown and how many people are here and brands and media organizations and amazing content, right, that people are shouting about, incredible. But there are also a lot of people walking around here tearing their hair out about the lack of money in the industry, because I think this time last year it was a completely different market. You still had people, streamers, making big investments in shows, and that has just disappeared, as we know. And I think the megaphone Spotify talk was the most interesting thing I've been to and watching Jack from Goalhanger talking about how they've they've gone with megaphone and how you know Spotify have pivoted so they're not chucking money at shows they're going to help successful shows and smaller shows grow in a kind of more responsible uh, realistic way I think and to be honest that's kind of Persephonica's approach to podcasting anyway I think the, the people who seem to be really tearing their hair out are people who have spent a lot of money or spend a lot of money on short-term limited run narrative shows it was interesting I was on a panel with Kerry Thomas from uh, Tortoise yesterday and one of the questions is about you know how you make money from podcasting and he was asked oh IP, it's all about IP and getting your shows optioned and he said yeah that's actually can be a bit of a red herring because you know it's not always the money's not always as great as you think it's going to be but also if you've got five or six of these shows and only one gets optioned 
and you can't really build an audience and the rest of them or sell the ad revenue or there aren't the opportunities that we're seeing with other big shows to take them live. It's, it's, a really, it's really tough. And again, to what you were saying about Dish, Ellie, I think that's the thing here with the news agents. It's not just a podcast, it's a brand. The social video numbers, I mean, Emily Maitlis laying into Gitto Harry on last night's episode is going mega viral on Twitter at the moment. Everybody's sharing that video, commenting, engaging with it. The conversation goes on way after we publish the episode. And I think what everybody's learning here and what all the talk is about is about video podcasts, social marketing strategy. You cannot just record six episodes of a show, put it out there and hope for the best. It's just a completely broken model. Would you say then that, you know, one of the themes this year, you know, you, you would have walked into this thinking that it was just going to be a, a whole load of conversations about AI and fake voices and everything. But really, you're saying always on is one of the bigger th- trends of this. Is That's what people want now. I think there's a lot of conversations around talent and around, you know, conversational shows. So you've seen more um, talks that are on things like, though, I mean, there's a funny one about not being divorced as a kind of presenting duo um, yeah. and things like, you know, the role that creators have to play. And I think I will say that a lot more of the conversation has been around this more conversational model of podcasting. It's interesting, I went to a talk about um, how you sort of turn your podcast into a live show and somebody actually asked the question saying, well, I actually make a narrative show and we've been thinking about how we can expand it and how we can go live. And actually the advice was really like, we think it works better when it's a conversational show where that's what you're getting is some extra insight by turning up to that live show, which is much harder in the narrative space. I mean, I'm a massive lover of narrative podcasts, but I would definitely say that the conversation this year has been much more around that sort of round table, bringing people in, having a chat, having a conversation, but informing them at the same time. I think what we're looking at as a company when we're looking to create narrative shows, which we have in development, it's, it's such a great medium. I don't want to suddenly say, oh, you know, narrative's dead and we don't want to hear those. That way of storytelling is amazing. But I think from a business point of view, you have got to be thinking about the feed, the strand, you know, recur the opportunities to, once you've had one great story in that space, to build out other stories. I think a, really, a person who's done this really, really well is um, Danny Robbins with, you know, Battersea Poltergeist, what he's done there, there with Uncanny and having created... Um, a strand and he can spin off you know limited series off that which obviously he's had great success with IP you know people lots of people interested in buying Battersea Poltergeist and there was a fight over that and that's great but he's also got a community and live shows that is the model right it's 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 not just this is a really good idea for a narrative podcast let's put it out there and hope for the best and then try and sell it I just think there's a lot of people who are realizing that that is 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 a bit of a broken model to be honest just in terms of from the podcast industry point of view how expensive those shows are to make and hiring the amount of staff you have to hire to make them Um, so yeah it's it's been fascinating being here and the podcast industry is in rude health it's it's great but it's a different world to what we thought we were in last year 
tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, welcome back. Brett and Chloe are here. I've kept them uh, on the sofa uh, to do the media quiz. Fortunately, no more uh, Radio Shrouds. Uh, I managed to uh, uh, axe season two of that. Instead, another terrible quiz from the mind of uh, Matt Hill. Uh, I'm going to read you a headline uh, from something that's happening outside of the podcast show, but I'm going to read it one word at a time. And you'll take it in turns to guess what the story is, uh, despite obviously both of you having no actual connection with the outside world because you, you've been here. We could be here a while. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, Chloe, you're going to start. Oh, gosh. So, crackdown. Police. On. Uh, Netflix password sharing. Correct. So, uh, so Got it into um, what, what's so, happening. So Netflix want people to stop sharing passwords. And, um, How outrageous. They're going to start cracking down. I think if someone is sharing your password, they would have had to have logged on to your home Wi-Fi in the previous month for it to carry on working. So I'm expecting to see quite a lot of my daughter uh, <laughs> over the next few months as she runs home to uh, log on to our Wi-Fi. It, it sort of <clears throat> amazes me that they didn't do this before. Like, password sharing's been going on for so long, hasn't it? Well, I think, it... I think historically they quite liked it because it mm, spread the service. Right. Uh, and they finally reached the point where it's like, actually, it's marketing's <laughs> fine now. Uh, we, we'd like the DOS. In some markets they've been trying this. They've been basically saying, you can share your password for a small additional fee with people to try and get them into the, into the system. Do you think it will generate more subscribers, Brett? Well, I think they've been losing subscribers in some territories, haven't they, where, they, where they've tried it. So it remains to be seen. But of course, there are lower tiers now because you can take a tier with advertising. So I suspect the boost will be in the lower tiers rather than the higher tiers. Uh, so they're going to be kind of emailing and writing to people that they've also no- noticed have been sharing their passwords. Either of you received a letter yet? No. <laughs> no, good. Oh, good. Good. Right. Okay, question number two. Uh, we'll start with you, Brett, as you got the last one. Tucker. Is this Tucker Carlson? No. Uh, Tucker Carlson potentially doing his show on Twitter. It's good, but uh, it's not right. Oh. So, uh, Tucker, then Carlson. Oh. Wow. I'm, I might have to hold it. I'm really bad at quizzes. It's that the area of my brain that should hold this just doesn't hold it, so I'm going to pass okay, it back to okay. Brett. Th- third word, home. Okay, fourth word, studio. 
home studio. That, <laughs> yes. Any, any, any more on that? Do you have any more, Brett? Five well, dismantled. Do, well, he does his show from a home studio <laughs> yeah. for a fox who's never actually in the studio. Oh, well, there you go. And I think Fox have come and taken it apart. Correct. And that, he's got to so go in, has he now? One. Well, no, because he's been fired. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so see, it's a result of my they've come general knowledge. They've come and taken all oh. their gear back. Yes. So, it's like being marched out from your desk with your box when yeah. you get fired, apart from... They come to you, you to, 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 to remove your desk. Oh. And, um, and the speculation is going to do his show on Twitter, although he may end up on greatest hits like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. uh, but also, I mean, if, if, if Tucker was luck, looking at Twitter as a potential location, as we were talking about earlier, uh, for his new show, he might be having to have some second thoughts. Also, I just think on, on, on that Twitter side, wasn't it a great reminder what a great job all the engineers do at broadcast media all the time? Absolutely. To do live production productions everywhere yeah. um, and they're sort of ignored somewhat until there's a problem yeah including the guys here at spirit land exactly. whose studios we are currently in available for <laughs> renting king's cross excellent plug right fi- final one uh, uh chloe this is for you to sub- uh, pull, pull back some respect there's none um here we go uh one fts nope over to you brett cut price antidote Nope. Two. Chloe, the. Matt can't believe it, his face. That's right. Is this the success of the new FT app? <laughs> yes, it is. This is the FT Edit app. Right, FT Edit. Uh, which allows eight articles uh, a day uh, for free, which has been a success. We've had 100,000 subscriptions uh, through it. Um, I mean, app productions, it's difficult to create something. I mean, th- this is the week that uh, the New York Times has launched uh, their own audio app too. Um, you've been involved in some apps at a variety of different media companies. It's difficult to establish any new app with, uh, with the public, isn't it? It's difficult to get people to download an app. I mean, I was involved in a new Bauer app that's coming shortly. And, you know, we did a lot of research with, with listeners. The average listener's got about 27 apps on their phone. Now, if you think about that, including all the social networks and your train timetables and, and, you know, Instagram and everything else, mm-hmm. very hard to get in that 27, isn't it? You've really, you've really got to go some. So, um, yeah, getting people to download your lap and then keep it is, is very challenging. Congratulations, Brett. Uh, three out of three, uh, you yeah. stormed that. Uh, uh, and then another, another new excellent format that maybe we can sell uh, to BBC Studios for them to take uh, around the world. Uh, thanks to Brett Spencer and Chloe Straw. Uh, where can listeners keep up with uh, what you're doing? I'm on Twitter at Brett SR. And Chloe? I'm Chloe Straw, but also please join Audio UK. You can find us on the internet. And if you want to check out the City University podcasting degree, it's at city.ac.uk slash podcasting. Thank you both. Thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to tell your colleagues about us on Twitter or LinkedIn. And most importantly, follow the show uh, in your app of choice to hear new episodes when they drop. Alternatively, just whack into the browser podfollow.com slash the media podcast. Uh, my name is Matt Deegan. The producer was Matt Hill. It was a Rethink Audio production. I'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.